Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. On episode 18 of the Strange Catholics podcast, we'll be discussing some Catholic news. For our feature segment today, we are going to talk about faithful citizenship and as Catholics, how to best form our conscience to make an informed vote. Our saint this week is Saint Bruno. For opening prayer, we'll turn it over to Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Phil. Good evening, brothers. Good evening, podcast listeners, or good day whenever you're listening to this. It uh, It's good to gather once again. And as we gather, let's bow our heads and lift up our souls to the Lord in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious and heavenly Father, who are our light and our salvation in these times of tumult, times of angry voices, and times of just rancor throughout our country. We pray for unity, we pray for peace, and we pray for all people who are coming together either through the mail or through the ballot box and letting their voice be heard. Let them be guided by the Holy Spirit to make a faithful choice to you, Heavenly Father. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week. Were we episode 18 now? We're just rocking and rolling. Thanks for everyone for listening. So let's talk quickly about some Catholic news. I have three short stories for you. The first one is a Supreme Court story. Obviously, we've been having a lot of Supreme Court discussions here over the last few weeks. The Supreme Court, um, the, the title of this article is The Supreme Court Does Not Reinstate Abortion Drug Restrictions. Uh, this has to do with the, the abortion drug RU486. The U.S. Supreme Court is temporarily allowing drugs used to medically induced abortions to be mailed or delivered without requiring the recipient to make a doctor's visit during the COVID pandemic. Uh, this was an unsigned order here on October 8th that the Supreme Court rejected an emergency appeal from the Trump's administration, FDA, uh, requiring in-person visits to hospital or clinics to pick up these pills. So the, the high uh, court ha- ordered that the federal judge in Maryland who made the ruling is um, in the drugs distribution did promptly consider within 40 days whether the ruling should be withdrawn or amended. So um, 
Let me just get a little bit to what the Supreme Court wrote. It was just a one-paragraph order. It said the government uh, found that the federal courts uh, said the government found the federal court's order too broad uh, because it applies across the United States, even if COVID-19 rates are better in some states. The justices said they needed more information to make a decision and therefore put the government uh, request on hold for this time. So I think it's going to come up again. Um, uh, Justice Alito dissented on this decision um, and was joined by Justice Thomas on it as well and said there was no legally sound uh, reason for this unusual disposition. So just to give you an idea, there's abortion stuff, abortion drugs. There's lots of things out there. And the Supreme Court makes a lot of decisions. They're not always in favor of Catholic uh, Catholic views. Uh, there, you know, so more to come on this. Uh, there, there'll, there'll be more uh, legal discussion on it in the future. That's the first one I wanted to bring up. The second one I wanted to bring up was uh, let me get it here real quick. I at my fingertips. Um, so with COVID expanding again, with the, the cases on the rise, and you've seen this in the media, and whether this is the end of the first wave, the second wave, doesn't matter what it is, we're seeing a spike now recently in cases, right? I know you guys are seeing that in Minnesota. Virginia, we're not seeing it as much, but a lot of uh, most states, I think all but two states are seeing a rise right now. New York, Governor Cuomo put some put some new, instituted some new uh, measures uh, trying to restrict a lot of indoor gatherings here recently. And and the Brooklyn Diocese has filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit over religious freedom, you know, saying that it's a violation of, of their religious freedom to to have this this uh, these new uh, stipulations placed on them. Um, it was an executive order. Phil's a big fan of executive orders that was put in place by uh, the governor of New York this week. And I guess it's limiting. It's it's by zip code if they're in certain kind of hot zones and so on. Brooklyn happens to be in this and uh, one of these zones. And if you're in the red zone, you can only have a maximum of 10 people at church. Well, that's just not going to work, right? I mean, it wouldn't work for most of us. Churches are being forced to reduce capacity to a maximum of 10 people inside at one time. And some are in the orange zone where only 25 people can be uh, uh, at one time. And then a yellow would be a 50% capacity, which are you guys at 50% capacity now? Is that what you're at? Still 25, I believe. Okay, you're it's, at 20. It's up to 50 or 250 people. So Correct. 50% of your capacity or up to 250 people is the max, indoor or out. Yeah, I think the weird thing that I find out here is I think it's something like that. It's 25 or 50% of capacity because I think we're in phase three now, whatever that means. But the uh, the problem is if you go to the cathedral, you know, they just kind of manage it and they know they're not going to get that many because it's fairly large. Uh, and they shut off it's like every other pew and stuff like that. But if there's another local church that uh, church is closer to me, I have to sign up online to go. And you know what that does? That means nobody goes right. If you got to sign up for a certain mass, but then again, they don't check. They don't ask you at the door who you are. So why are you signing up? I mean, it seems a little counterproductive to me, but 
in regards to this Brooklyn. So the diocese here is is saying that you know this is this is a violation of um, religious freedom, and the diocese is saying also that it will be denied its most fundamental right, the exercise of free religion, for no legitimate reason whatsoever. Yeah, I think it's the third time, right? I think we've talked about it before. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, I mean, 10 people is a pretty small number. Um, although I'm not recalling off the top of my head some of the major parishes that are in that diocese, most of them are pretty good size. They're not relatively small. So their capacity size is large is what I'm saying. So limiting that to 10 people when you could be socially distant, you could, you know, they're all, I'm sure they're wearing masks, um, doing similar things to what we're doing in Minnesota and what we've seen in other states as well. Um, Even when I've been to states that have more relaxed restrictions, people are still wearing masks at mass. Uh, They're still being, you know, they're still distancing. Even if that isn't a written or mandated requirement, I've still have experienced people at mass distancing, wearing masks, doing all that. So I think, I think you can make, I think, the bishops are right to say, hey, I think 10 people's a little bit too small. Now, we've seen uh, two, both times, neither one of those cases uh, were successful. They were all shot down. So it's hard to say what will happen, but it would be good to see some leniency, even if they would allow just outdoor masses or something like that. Well, and one of the things that you and I talked about in a side conversation, Phil, is, and I think it's appropriate to bring up here is the fact that to the best of my knowledge, unless it's changed since we had that conversation, there have been zero, zero cases of COVID related to being in church. Absolutely not. For me, I mean, to limit churches to 10 people is especially if you can still safely distance in a bigger church, like you said, Phil, where these churches have larger capacities, the church that I go to has a seating capacity. Um, If we go out into, you know, beyond the worship space into our gathering space, we could eat, you know, we could seat a thousand people. However, you know, that would not be within the social distancing guidelines. So even if we could seat, 250 people in our church instead of the 10 that they're, you know, talking about, it still allows that many more people to come and be a worship and be a a part of the mass and receive the Eucharist, which, you know, we've talked about this on other podcasts, the source and the summit of our Catholic faith. It, to me, it just seems ridiculous to say only 10 people can be in church. That's all I have to say. Well, I think, you know, the other the other thing you guys brought this up a little bit is the Brooklyn Diocese brings us up is, hey, we've went, you know, we've moved heaven and earth, so to speak, to do these protocols so we can have people come back safe, you know, and now you're just going to basically, you know, you know, throw it back in our face and penalize us and saying that we we can't do this correctly. So. Uh, I understand where they're coming from. I mean, 
I understand where the leadership's coming from within the state, because if you're in New York, especially, and you, we saw what happened there in the initial part of the wave, and we've talked about this before, that Governor Cuomo's done, done some things we disagreed with and done some things we agreed with that were effective. But, you know, they were the epicenter for all these cases. So I, you got to take that into account as well. But, you know, I, 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 and I, I'm with the church on this, but I, you know, it, the more, the more ability we have for people to worship and receive the Eucharist, the better off we are. I think that's where we all come down on this story. Amen. Okay. So the last story real quickly here. Um, which will kind of lead us into our main topic is the debates. Uh, obviously, you folks probably saw, if you didn't see, you heard the first debate and all the chaos that was that first debate on all sides, on both sides of that, all sides, meaning the moderator and the two um, candidates. Um, and now, uh, since the president has got COVID, they're looking at having a virtual debate for the second debate. President and his team weren't real big on that, didn't really say they wanted to participate in that. So now they've said they're going to cancel the second debate. So so we didn't see that today. So that kind of gives you a timeline of when we're recording this. But so the second debate's canceled. That's what I got right before we came on. And that's it for Catholic News this week. And this will lead us into our main topic, which is next. Thanks, Bob. So we wanted, we've talked about talking about election things and how to form our consciences, right? We've talked about all of these different, we've touched on these topics, but then we didn't go in depth into them. So no matter where you're listening to us in the United States, and I've seen this from other uh, bishops conferences around the world, kind of this idea of helping to form our conscience prior to voting and uh, this document, especially Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, which was updated for 2020, is kind of, it's a similar document that's been rolling for uh, more than a decade now, for sure. And it has some beautiful quotes that help punctuate um, what are some of our key points in this and how to make sure that we're not just making uninformed decisions, but instead we start with prayer. We're discerning. We're researching and we're really being well informed, both in our conscience and in understanding what the stance is, the position is of the different candidates that we're interested in voting for. So some lines here, we're draw, we draw from both faith and reason as we seek to affirm the dignity of the human person and the common good of all. With renewed hope, we, the Catholic bishops of the United States, are reissuing the Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. This is kind of the opening. This is that introductory letter. If you were to look at the PDF, there's 53 pages on this document. I'm not going to cover it all. I'm just going to cover a couple snippets from this, but we'll link to it. Continuing on, everyone living in this country is called to participate in public life and contribute to the common good. In Rejoice and Be Glad, Gaudete et exalte, Pope Francis writes, Your identification with Christ and his will involves a commitment to build with him that kingdom of love, justice, and universal peace. We cannot grow in holiness without committing yourself, body and soul, to giving your best to this endeavor. 
The call to holiness, he writes, requires a firm and passionate defense of the innocent unborn. Equally sacred, he states, further states, are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned, and the underprivileged, the vulnerable, infirm, and the elderly, exposed to convert euthanasia, the victims of human trafficking, new forms of slavery, and every form of rejection. Our approach to contemporary issues is first and foremost rooted in our identity as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters to all who are made in God's image. So that's just a little snippet that I wanted to cover from the USCCB, which I've seen every bishop kind of pointing everyone to go seek out this document. This is kind of that first document to read, and then they'll provide other documents, other areas where our church is leading us. In our diocese, the St. Cloud Diocese, at least the diocese that Terry and I are currently residing in, our diocese is given a great list of documents to follow. It's given commentary from priests from around the diocese, one of whom um, is extremely brilliant. So we'll link to this as well, because this father, Tom Knobleck, that's list, uh, that wrote this article, really helps to helps us as Catholics especially, but really all Christians to understand and form our conscience so that we are fully aware and we're making that that good decision towards God. Uh, so just a quick snippet from Father Tom's article, because I love to quote the catechism. So the catechism quote, so the catechism describes this gift from God in each person's soul. While it is an imperfect analogy, analogy, conscience is something like satellite radio in your vehicle. You might have the equipment factory installed, but without a subscription and the right channel, you will get silence or static or perhaps programs you don't that do not inspire to truth, beauty, or goodness. Conscience discovers moral truth. It does not create it. It applies universal truths rather than manufactures them. It measures our choices. It does not automatically justify my choices. While we must sincerely follow our conscience, sincerity alone does not guarantee an objectively correct judgment. One can be completely sincere, yet profoundly mistaken. In other words, conscience alone is not infallible. It might make you sure, but it won't necessarily make you right. Turn it over to you guys for some comments, but I, I think those words from Father Tom are so pointed to help guide us so that we're not making blind decisions, as he states, but we're being well informed. All of this through prayer, all of this through discernment, seeking to grow closer to Christ. Absolutely agree with you right there, Phil. Um, that article uh, from Father Tom is uh, absolutely beautiful. Uh, I read it, reread it. Uh, very good information in there. And I would invite all of our listeners uh, to go to the St. Cloud Diocese website under Faithful Citizenship. It is on the uh, very first page as you arrive at the, uh, as you arrive at the diocesan website. Phil, I'll, link, I'll link to it as well. And Phil will link to it as well. So there you go. Nice and simple for folks. We like to keep things simple for our listeners. 
But the other thing, too, is our bishop here in the St. Cloud Diocese uh, came out with a very beautiful letter, which is also on the website. Uh, some things that I would like to highlight from that letter that I thought was absolutely wonderful. Um, he does point out that the election cycle has been especially contentious. And as bishop, I understand why some people are tempted to tune out from the messiness of today's politics. But as Catholics, we need to be engaged in these public conversations because the future of our families, communities, and nation depend upon it. Our Catholic faith teaches us that responsible citizenship is a virtue and participation in political life is a moral obligation. Voting with the aim of protecting human life, promoting human dignity, and advancing the common good of all God's children helps to make the world a better place. It is an answer to Christ's command to love one another. Many Catholics look to the church for guidance in making their voting choices. Some seek strong statements from me, the, the bishop, or their, their pastors about whom to vote for or against. Neither I nor your pastors can tell you how to vote. Voting is a decision left to each individual. It should be a culmination of a longer process of education and discernment during which you properly form your conscience so you can make good decisions regarding the public policies and moral issues at stake in this election or in the election, rather. This requires hard work because there are many issues and challenges that demand our attention, but this is where the church can help. A good place to begin is by reading and reflecting on the document that Phil just talked about, forming consciences for faithful citizenship, a call to political responsibility. Forming our conscious, consciences properly, as the document outlines, requires a sincere desire to embrace goodness and truth, a willingness to seek this truth by studying scripture and church teaching, learning the facts about the choices we face, and then praying and reflecting to, to discern God's will. This process reflects the reality that our participation in political life should be influenced by our faith, not the other way around. Respect for the human dignity of every person, no matter their stage of life, color of their skin, or their abilities, is at the heart of faithful citizenship. I think that pretty much sums it up and says it all right there. I think sometimes we try to boil it down to, hey, who's pro-life? If, if we just boil it down to that, that's we can do that or who's anti-death penalty or who's pro or anti-immigration so to speak and, and just bringing up those topics you it would be difficult to pick one candidate for president versus the other we're not just talking about president here but that obviously we're in a presidential year so that's the that's the big enchilada so uh you know that's what most people are talking about here out here in the Diocese of Arlington, where I am, we're a lot closer to the flagpole nationally than you guys are. 
there is also resources on the uh, diocesan website. And there actually is also, and this comes from the Virginia Catholic Conference, they do a side-by-side -side comparison placard of the two presidential candidates on a, on a host of issues, abortion, you know, issues that are, that are very important to Catholics, abortion, death penalty, educational choice, which, you know, was a big thing for Catholics. Uh, the environment, you know, it's, it's a big thing. Ethics and research, which is a huge issue for, for us. Uh, we have so many writings on our, you know, our views on, on ethics and research and, and uh, homological in vitro fertilization and all those other things. Uh, gender issues, healthcare access, immigration, poverty, racial equity, and religious freedom. It doesn't, it doesn't grade them. It just kind of gives their views, you know, based on what their writings have been, what legislation they've supported, what their website says, their campaign website. And so uh, it, it's a useful tool to use on at least on the presidential level, but you can use that for governor. You can use it for a lot of stuff. You can use those issues. And there's obviously other issues that affect us as well. So, you know, we're not a monolithic people, even though we all believe in a lot the same common values as Catholics, we're not monolithic. So um, there are certain issues that are more important to us than others. Um, obviously, read the church's documents and, and they'll steer you in the right direction. Prayer is the most important part here of the discernment process, but it is complex. Okay. So give it the time it deserves and, and take into account all of it, you know, weigh all those options before you make your decision. That would just be my best advice to those folks voting and using their Catholic conscience this election year. So something I've seen it, this isn't necessarily true in the state of Minnesota. It could be true in Virginia, but I know I have quite a few people that I know and love in the state of California. And so sometimes they'll have an issue come up where both candidates for an office for state house or whatever it might be, both candidates are opposite to what the church teaches on abortion. So they're both pro-choice. Um, and so then you look to the candidate to see which one is more detrimental to the right to life, to being pro-life? Which one is going to try and further um, access to abortion or whatever it might be? And then so to help kind of weigh that, okay, both of these candidates do not support what I, you know, as a, you know, as a Catholics, right, are, we want to protect life from conception until natural death. Important points there. And we look at these candidates and they're both pro-choice. So they're not necessarily, but there's one that's far trying to expand or maybe even require maybe a Catholic hospital to cover abortions or something. And the other one says, no, I'm pro-choice, so I'm not going to support this. I'm totally stealing this from Trent Horn. But, you know, the church says, you know, in that sense, you're not try, trying to say I'm voting for this person because of their abortion rights, but rather these are the only two candidates I have. I'm going to choose, you know, the lesser of two evils isn't really a good phrase, but, you know, I'm going to choose the one that is less detrimental or to my cause or the things that I care about 
but uh, some of their other issues that I care about, they also are, you know, they're someone that will represent me is, you know, who our representatives are supposed to be. So in those more difficult issues, uh, Pope Benedict has spoken well on this as well. Uh, it was actually Cardinal Ratzinger, I believe at the time that, you know, sometimes we are the way that our Catholic and faith, our Catholic faith, Catholic faith forms us does not come out almost it will not come out in a political candidate but instead trying to as we opened up this segment trying to form our conscience so that when we're choosing the candidate we're not just choosing the candidate because of this thing or that thing but instead what are the things that are most critical to me and my conscience right that's what we're trying to form and then looking at the candidate and seeing how they align with that. So not just on the presidential ticket, but all the way down to your local municipalities. Well, get out and vote. Indeed. If you haven't voted yet, some people are doing the mail-in. True. And there, and however you need to do it, whether it's mail-in, absentee, or go to the poll, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever your state and local uh, municipality offer, you know, get it done. Uh, if you haven't traveled worldwide, I will just tell you that voting is something that we take for granted here. We don't get enough people voting. Uh, we should have 100% of the people voting. It's never going to happen. We're lucky if we get, you know, 60%. I think Minnesota does well from time to time. They've had 70%. But if you've traveled to third world countries and other types of places like I have, um, voting isn't quite as easy or allowed like it is here. So I think we're taking it for granted. So don't take it for granted. Get out there. And we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with St. Bruno. We'll be back right after this. And we're back. Saint of the week is St. Bruno, which I selected. I will give that plug for me. And uh, Terry thought it was a good idea, so he is going to give you the lowdown on St. Bruno. Well, how could I refuse, Bob? You're such a wise and scholarly guy. When you said St. Bruno, I'm like, well, if Bob's saying St. Bruno, why not St. Bruno, right? St. Bruno of Cologne, his feast day is October the 6th. He is the patron saint of possessed people and the, and the country of Ruthenia. Born in the year 1030 in Cologne, Germany, he belonged to a family of Hartenfaust or Hartenboost, one of the principal families of the city. He was endowed with rare natural gifts, which shone with outstanding brilliance. Little is known of his early years, except that he studied theology in the present-day French city of Reims before returning to his native land, where he was most likely ordained a priest in approximately 1055. Ordained at Cologne, his native city, he became a canon of its cathedral and then was a canon at Reims, where the direction of studies in theology was entrusted to him. He already had a very strong distaste for honors and a great desire for a life of contemplation. When he returned to Reims in 1056 as a professor of theology, he became the head of the school the following year and remained there there until 1074. Bruno led and taught at the school for nearly two decades, acquiring an 
excellent reputation as a philosopher and a theologian. In 1075, St. Bruno was appointed Chancellor of the Church of Reims, and then to give himself especially to the administration of the diocese. Meanwhile, the pious Bishop Gervais, friend of St. Bruno, had been succeeded by Manassas de Gournay, who quickly became odious, was noted for his impiety and his violence. The chancellor and two other canons were commissioned to bear to the papal legate the complaints of the indignant clergy, and at the Council of Autun in 1077, they obtained the suspension of the unworthy prelate. Bishop Manassas's reply was to rob the houses of his accusers, confiscate their goods, and appeal to the Pope. Bruno then absented himself from Reims for a while and went probably to Rome to defend the justice of his cause. It was only in 1080 that a definite sentence confirmed by the rising of the people compelled Manassas to withdraw and take refuge with the Emperor Henry IV. Free then to choose another bishop, the clergy were on the point of uniting their vote upon the Chancellor, St. Bruno. He, however, was not interested in leading the Church of Reims. He already had a strong distaste, as I said earlier, for honors and a great desire for a life of contemplation. Bruno, along with six companions, four priests, two laymen, had resolved to renounce their worldly goods and possessions and enter religious life. Inspired by a dream to seek guidance from the bishop, later canonized as St. Hugh of Grenoble, Bruno settled in the Chartreuse Mountains in 1084, joined by a small group of scholars looking to become monks. Mountain, mountainous terrain and inaccessibility guaranteed silence, poverty, and small number. There they lived in poverty, self-denial, and silence, each apart in his own cell, meeting only for the worship of God and employing themselves in copying books. St. Bruno wrote several commentaries on St. Paul's epistles and the Psalms. From the name of the solitude, the order of St. Bruno was, was called the Carthusian Order. The fame of the group and their founders spread, and in 1090, Bruno was brought to Rome against his wishes by Pope Urban, who actually he had taught when he was at Reims. As a papal advisor in the reformation of the clergy, as well as a rival papal claimant and the hostile Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. Bruno served as a close advisor to the Pope during a critical period of reform. Around this time, he also rejected another chance to become bishop, this time in the Italian region of Calabria. While he obtained the Pope's permission to return to monastic life, Bruno was required to remain in Italy to help the Pope periodically rather than returning to his monastery in France. During the 1090s, Bruno befriended Count Roger of Sicily and Calabria, who granted him granted land rather to his group of monks and enabled the founding of a major monastery in 1095. The monks were known then as now for their strict practice of asceticism, 
poverty, and prayer, and for their unique organizational form combining the solitary life of hermits with the collective life of more conventional monks. St. Bruno died on October 6, 1101, after making a notable profession of faith which was preserved for posterity. In his final testimony, he gave particular emphasis to the doctrine of Christ's Eucharistic presence, which had already begun to be questioned in parts of the Western Church. I believe, he attested, in the sacraments that the Church believes and holds in reverence, especially in that what has been consecrated on the altar is true flesh and the true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we receive for the forgiveness of our sins and in the hope of eternal salvation. He was never formally canonized because, because of the Carthusians' aversion to public honors, but Pope Leo granted the Carthusians permission to celebrate his feast in 1514, and his name was placed on the Roman calendar by Pope Clement X in 1623. And gentlemen, that is St. Bruno of Cologne. Another beautiful saint. Thank you, Terry. One thing that I, I like that you pointed out at the end was that he was never formally canonized right? because of their, you know, their ob objection to that popular uh, being someone being raised in public honors. And I, I didn't know that. I, I knew I know a little bit maybe about the Cartusians, but I don't know a lot. And so reading more about them to learn about St. Bruno, their founder, and kind of the life that they live was quite um, to live in silence that long for that many days in between feast days or, you know, only on Sundays to come together and for night prayer was is a very ascetic life. So, uh, but a good example for how we can, how different people live out their call to holiness in different ways. There's only one Artusian monastery in Minnesota, in the United States. That's what I see. Her motto is, the cross is steady while the world is turning. No, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, uh, I didn't, didn't think you said that. that up. Stat crooks, stat crooks, dumb, vulture orbis. <laughs> That's the Latin. Oh, that was bad. Cartagena. Okay. <laughs> Got it. They have some interesting, they make alcohol. I suppose maybe with that, you know, kind of life, maybe. <laughs> That's just a joke. Okay. No, I don't think so. But they make, actually, they make a type of liqueur, a French liqueur is what I see. Yeah. So there's a, they're interesting. I'm going to read more about St. Bruno, but especially about that order, about the Carthusians. They have both monks and nuns. So, but yeah, no, very, very interesting. So, St. Bruno, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us, St. Bruno. Come to the end of a, another great broadcast. We appreciate everybody tuning in and listening from wherever you are across the world. Because we know we have some international listeners, and we thank you. Um, not just our family members. Yes, very true. Thank you, everyone, worldwide. Worldwide, right. We are international. So thank you for that. So or before we go. Mercy. <laughs> before we go. Is that Latin? Before we go. Um, <laughs> one Apple podcast, if that's where most of you go. And 
give us a five-star rating so more people can find us. Uh, leave a comment um, and whatever other podcast platform, whether it's uh, Stitcher, Spotify, whether you get it on Anchor, um, there, you know, there's ways to uh, send us messages and so on. Prayer intentions, we want those because we want to lift those up in this forum. And uh, Phil's going to add now some of those uh, email addresses and stuff like that. Our site where you can get all of our podcasts and leave us a voice message is anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics. And our email address is strange Catholics pod at gmail.com. Links for all this will be in our show description, show notes. Now it's that time to close with prayer. Right. And I'm leading closing prayer today. <laughs> all right. So we'll begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, helping to enrich our lives by this conversation. We pray that there are truths and beauty and goodness in our words that would touch those that hear this. We pray that your Spirit would come down upon all of us, that you would enliven within us the Spirit of truth justice, and peace, so we may more faithfully serve you today and forever. We pray for all all of our elected leaders, those that are seeking office and those that are in office today. Lord, we pray that they would all be holier than us, so that we may become as holy as we ought. We pray for the protection of protection of life from conception until natural death, for all those that are pregnant, that they may be protected by you, the divine physician, and kept healthy and safe in accordance with your will. For all healthcare workers, all frontline workers, all those that are caregivers, all those that have been sickened by COVID-19, that they may be healed in accordance with your will. Lord, we pray that you help to form our conscience, that we as Catholics, Form our conscience well so that we may do that duty. Fulfill that obligation. Lord, we ask you to open and make our heart softened to be allowing of your will so that we may not seek our will but yours first. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And until next time, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. And love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation, and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers 
and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day, and may God bless you.